2: Kia ora. Welcome to Bookends with Ruth Todd and Moran Ra. Two quite different books today, Ruth. <laughs> yes, well, uh, I was delighted to
1: talk to Catherine Robertson about the third book about Gabriel's Bay. This has been a trilogy
2: and um, a cast of characters that we all know. <laughs> Good summer reading, I imagine. And I've been intrigued by a new book that um, looks at the lives of queer New Zealanders. 30 Queer Lives, Conversations with LGBTQIA Plus New Zealanders is written by Matt McAvoy. He has a Bachelor of Music, but he's worked in communications technology in Europe and Qatar. He now lives in Auckland, where he teaches piano, manages property interests, and does freelance IT and writing assignments. This is his second book. Matt, I was utterly intrigued by the stories and by the range of people you spoke to, but tell me, why did you decide to put this book together?
0: Well, um, when I was a gay kid growing up, um, probably over 20 years ago now, um, there was never this kind of book available. Um, you know, books about New Zealanders were generally, uh, you know, Edmund Hillary, rugby players, that kind of thing. So there was never really, and, and there still, when I looked into it, there still wasn't any book which celebrated the more diverse side of the New Zealand uh, population, New Zealand society, including the queer community, the rainbow community. So, um, Partly it was to redress that balance, um, you know, and to show the the contribution that um, the Rainbow community make to New Zealand's rich tapestry of people.
2: They sure do. And uh, I thought I knew a reasonable amount, not a lot, but not a great deal, but a reasonable amount. But I just found the variety of people that you've tracked down to be um, quite extraordinary. Um, there's a gay doctor from Invercargill. <laughs> That's
0: right. Originally from Caracas, <laughs> Venezuela. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly.
2: <laughs> yes. Um, there's um, a wonderful um, young person from Fiji who is native Fijian, um, Fijian-Indian, who's very involved in the conversion the- therapy Um right. Right. Uh, movement to have it banned. Um, I, well, I could. you tell me how you tracked all these people down.
0: Well, we were really interested to get the full range, well, as far as possible, of the full range of people across the sexuality, gender spectrums, and then also geographical. We don't want to read about um, people in Auckland and Ponsonby, obviously, and uh, we've got a few people in your region Yes. Uh, that was included as well. Nathan Joe,
2: Vi- Victor Indeed. Roger, yeah, well-known yep. down here.
0: Yes. So we wanted to reflect, um, you know, we wanted to really get perspectives from everyone, um, and that's, uh, that's what sort of drove for 30 people.
2: And... You know, you want them to come across as individuals. You don't want it to seem like it's uh, it's the same person writing and and producing a, a you know some similar content for each of them. So that that's that's quite an art getting the voices to come across.
0: Well, I hope they have come across. Yes. Yeah. So so we decided to put it in a, a first person um style with the hope that it would create a more intimate feeling as if the reader was in the room listening in on the on the person speaking um yeah and it was um important to try and capture the voice we went through each person had the chance to edit their piece and um you know often they just did think well maybe that's not a word I, i mean i said that word in the interview but perhaps i wouldn't normally use it so through the editing and the discussion process of the piece, um, I think we really sort of shaped them so that each person was comfortable that they felt like it was their own uh, authentic voice. Yeah, we we took a bit of care on that.
2: I know it it comes through. They're very eloquent, and while there are similarities and. You know, in some of the experiences, the bullying at school, the difficulty mm. of coming out mm. um, to family and friends. Um, each person's story has its own has its own individual um, tale of, you know, birth to where <laughs> where they are now.
0: Yes, yes. As um, I was constantly astonished at the the openness of people really and the trust. They they placed in me because um, I mean as you know they're not all um, uh, every event that's described is certainly not uh, happy and um, you know there were tears during some of the interviews laughter and tears um, and you know there's some quite unvarnished a few harrowing pieces in there so um, uh, I was it was very um, happy with the generosity that each person uh, uh, offered.
2: Well I guess they they want the same thing for this book as you did. They want their voices to be out there they want to be acknowledged for who they are who they are and what they stand for um but you know they also they also it's it's quite a it's quite a extraordinary thing to have your own story out in the world which which may be a different story to to the one that people think they know about you.
0: Mm, indeed and um well and there are certain parts of the l g b t you know the further you go down that um <laughs> those those letters, the lesser known uh i think those those groups are for example intersex um i I learned a few things that I didn't know as well I mean one fascinating thing is that intersex people are as common in our society as people with red hair. Which is somewhere around the four percent mark.
2: It is extraordinary, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think I was first alluded to it by all the controversy over um, John Money and his his Dr. John Money and what he did in back in right. I think the nineteen fifties. But yeah, yes. I'm pretty ignorant about what their life experience is like, and and going back to, um, I think it's Shanil, Shavnil yeah. Lau yes. uh, their story um, where he reflects, uh, sorry where they reflect on the way indigenous cultures had many words and um, uh, variations to describe uh, queer queer people of in their culture but that those have been very much affected by Christianity and Mm. there isn't so much tolerance for the wide variety of queer lives now.
0: That's right. And, um, yes, the English language is really quite clumsy um, around transgender and different uh, sexualities and genders. That's right. So they make the point that, uh, you know, their language... Uh, needs to really uh to you know remain intact otherwise the identities have no description. So these things sort of go hand in hand. Similar to um to some of the Maori and uh Pacific people that I interviewed as well. They they um tell similar stories of traditionally their cultures being much more accepting. Um, you know, often not needing to have these particular labels that English uses um yeah we yeah. C-
2: we can learn a lot from that definitely. I was also um I know there are so many, you know there are a lot of harrowing stories of of the treatment and the fear that people Nathan Joe talks about the fear of walking hand in hand in christchurch um mm. with a boyfriend um and I'm sure that's still as as real. Now as it ever has been, but um, there seem to be quite a number of people talking with optimism about the younger generation and their more accepting attitudes.
0: That's right. Yes, Carol Bow is an example there. She's probably in her sixties, I believe, and um, you know a few of the a few of the older people expressed uh, amazement at the progress that we've seen since they were kids, Um, you know, through 1986, the decriminalization, um, and now the uh, marriage equality. So, uh, yeah, I mean, there's there's been a lot of progress, but there's still, uh, you know, as as you said there, when Nathan still doesn't feel comfortable walking hand in hand with his uh, boyfriend, you know, that does show that we've still got a way to go.
2: Yeah and I think bullying is still a in, in schools and and not just in schools probably in workplaces is still something. Um that's one right. of, one of the um one of the people in here works um in schools going round talking about the experience of the rainbow community. And that oh, yes. you know that's a good thing too but it's it's a drop in the bucket probably.
0: Uh, You mean Robbie Manson, the rower? Yeah,
2: yeah, and there was somebody else as well. Um, I've just sort of, it's just come to me and now I'm going to have to try and um, um, find out who it is.
0: (laughs) Yes, well, Robbie's the um, world record uh, rower, which is quite incredible, an Olympian. It's amazing to have him in here and someone like that to go around the, the school with that amount of mana. Um, so yeah, it'd be nice to see more of that because you know the the unfortunate truth is the suicide statistics for uh, queer people are still um really terrible so if this book gets into some of the some of those um hands of young people or people that are struggling
2: yeah you know, i those, i agree it's um it's going to do uh it's going to do good things I'm sure matt because um you're you know I found it utterly absorbing. I am not queer. I don't have as far as I know queer members of my family but i i i you know I'd hate to think I did, and they hadn't felt okay about telling me um mm. but i but I have queer friends um so there's there's so much we still need to learn, and a book like this is a very, very good way of 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 um, educating us.
0: Mm. And, you know, one of the um, most surprising hopeful stories was from Sawyer Hawker. Did you read this one about the the soldier?
2: Oh, yes. Yeah, I read them all.
0: (laughs) Yes, isn't
2: that a great one?
0: Joining the military, because I I would have assumed the military, well, that's your way as well, the the Burnham military.
2: Yep, that's true. Yep.
0: And I would have thought the military would have been a fairly conservative institution, but um, through that story where um, he joined uh, as a lesbian woman, um, completely accepted, and then through his time in the military um, <clears throat> came to realise that they wanted to transition to become a woman, was fully supported by all of the um, top military brass, still happily living a life in the military, and I was just astonished, and um, yeah, that was, that was one of the more um, hopeful stories for me. Wasn't it?
2: I agree. Um yep. And and wonderful to to hear that, that he was so supported in that transition mm. and still is. So thank you, Matt, for the work you've done with this, for finding these people who were happy and and um given the opportunity to talk about their queer lives.
0: Thank you. It's been lovely to talk to you.
2: The book is 30 Queer Lives, Conversations with LGBTQIA Plus New Zealanders. It's by Matt McAvoy and it's published by Massey University Press. You're listening to Bookends on Plains FM
1: 96.9. Catherine Robertson had returned return to Gabriel's Bay in her series, Spellbound, is the name of the book, and it came out towards the end of last year. Was it, Catherine?
3: It was April, actually.
1: Oh, well, I... I know,
3: but... I, and I didn't ever get a copy, yeah.
1: copy till just recently, so I couldn't not get one because I loved the other two, and this is the third in your series. Um, something about how you put a book together like this that's got to continue and get a bit um you know you, you do it so well tell me about um tell me about the cat who starts the book off
3: well, and, finishes um, the
1: book, really, and
3: finishes the book really and finishes the book well when I when I wrote the first one um I always had the intention to make it a about a community. I didn't want to make it about a main character. But of course, as soon as you start reading a book and the first chapter's got a character in it, you assume that's the main character. And it was my editor at Penguin Random House, Harriet Allen, that suggested I have a kind of a prologue of some sort to introduce the community. And so in the first book, Gabriel's Bay, I was inspired by an actual dog in our neighbourhood that just used to get out, escape in the morning, and go around the all the, the whole sort of uh, neighbourhood looking for food scraps. And so I and I, I called that do- that dog's actual name was King, and I called my dog in Gabriel's Bay King as well. And it was a really useful device to introduce people to the place and make it clear that it was about a place, not a person. Um, and so I just continued that. So in What You Wish For, I have the fabled moose. Um, That's that right. Lives somewhere mm. wild, yes. <laughs> and uh, in this one, I had the cat, well, you d- called Brian and doesn't much like it. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, you do have two Siamese cats, don't you?
3: I have four Burmese cats. Four entry. Burmese cats. Oh right. I know. Life has yes, moved on a pace by so sort of collecting my miniaturies. We we went to moved to Hawke's Bay and I had more space and somehow have accumulated more animals. Um, next stop a miniature pony and some pigs, I think. That would be great. <laughs> well But the other it's... thing about the device was that um, you know, starting with the animal was that it also when I envisaged the Gabriel's Bay books, I envisaged them as a trilogy and all of Each each one has a different theme. So the first one is about um, sort of loyalty. And so a dog was a, a, you know, perfect candidate for that. And the moose one was about nature, human nature and the environment. And this one is about power. And so, again, a cat seemed a natural animal to choose when you talk about power
1: plays. <laughs> Certainly. So I liked you what you did also by putting a cast of characters um, at the beginning of the book, because I think I added up to 22. Is that yeah. b- about right?
3: That sounds about <laughs> right,
1: yes. Um, and it was so nice to read a little bit about them again, because it was a while since I'd read the second book, and I... I liked that because I could refer back to it when I got a bit lost in so many characters. And I, But you also put names of the character that was going to be prominent in the chapter at the top of the chapter, heading two. So uh, that was a really good thing to do. So thank you for that. But... Um, <laughs> Unless, you, unless I kept at it, I, and, and I did read it very quickly because it's a delight, as well as um, some serious tones of, about power, um, you know, they I could got easily switch back and say, oh, yes, that's Patricia Weston. I, know, I can remember about her, and and you've got little comments like not to be underestimated, and Sydney <laughs> <Okay. laughs> Gillespie yeah. very pregnant, concerned about her eldest son, Aidan. So we got a little hint of what was going to happen. I liked that. Oh,
3: good. Well, yeah, I ended up doing it for what you wish for because the comments from Gabriel's Bay were, "Please have a cast of characters (laughs) so we can keep track." So I went, "Sure, I'll do that."
1: Thank you for doing that. Listening to your readers and um, tell me about the themes, about the themes of power and who the characters are heavily involved in this in this book.
3: Yeah, yeah. I mean. I mean, obviously, you know, a scene such as Power, could you could go in off in all sorts of directions, but I wanted, now that I've established my characters, I wanted to go back to some of the, you know, things that they have been battling with. Um, so, as you say, Bernard, lovely Bernard, who's the chair of the Gables Bay Progressive Association is dealing with infighting, and he has a nemesis um, by the name of Elaine Paju who wants to, uh, you know, unseat him, and also wants to she wants to be the person of influence in their community, and it doesn't matter that their community is small. Um, she wants to be the person of influence, and her ethics, although she would appear to be, you know, here is driven, her ethics are somewhat questionable. Um, well, she's a bully. <laughs> she, is an, she is an utter bully, uh, but she also very much wants to be respected and admired, and so she's compromising herself somewhat to make that happen. Um and I wanted to talk about the sort of the imbalances of power in communities in terms of, you know, who has money and influence and who who doesn't and what that means for the people who don't. Um and where the resources are, the imbalance in the resources in small communities. So who has to take up the slack? And it's not usually the people with the money, is it? It's usually the people who have very little. Um, but get on and do, you know, like as Mac does you know, it gets on Always. and does what to mm. be done in the community and I wanted to talk about power and relationships, so I've got, you know, the parental relationship that Sydney is having with her oldest son mm. and I wanted to talk about the power of how other people can influence you you know, mm. about, and we've got so much with online, know, so much happening at the moment where people are getting sucked into these groups that are influencing them and not an entirely productive or you know, sincere ways. Um, So I wanted to deal with that as well.
1: And so domestic violence comes into it too.
3: And the domestic violence is the, I would suppose, you know, one of the ultimate imbalances of power in a relationship. And it really highlights, um, you know, how one person can have power over another, through not just physical violence, but emotional and psychological violence as well.
1: That's right. So the relationships between, uh, among these 22 people, they're very, you... go on one chapter to another and it's, it just rolls on very smoothly, we sort of link it always linking it that's what I notice about your writing I'm reading about um, two or three of them in a chapter and then somehow it's linked to the next chapter that must be really hard to do because <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't know how you do it um, uh-huh. because it, it just reads so smoothly how, I did, how do you do it? Do you write
3: I did Yeah I did a pl- I do plan I have to plan with these because they are so complex. I mean I have a very strong idea of the theme and from the theme I build the storylines and, the, and the, the characters that I choose naturally lend themselves to different aspects of those you know that, that theme. So I pick their storylines um, to illustrate that. And then again, you know I have got a track record with these characters in my head now. They're very well established. Um, and i have set some things in motion which I wanted to continue exploring and um, but what I what I actually do is I use the old uh, you know sort of six-act structure from the film and I figure I've got six main characters they each have about six chapters each and I plot it out on post-its and then so the the, you know the core pillars of their story I suppose the core, core points and turning points of their story And then I plot them on a big kind of A1 piece of paper and just stick them up and figure out where they're going to go so that I can see how I can turn it into one coherent narrative Um, and one sort of, so it feels like a seamless whole even well, though you're dealing with six individual stories.
1: You make it sound so simple, and I'm sure it isn't, and I can it just imagine fine. that piece of uh, A1 sheet on your wall and you staring at it and thinking, where am I going now?
3: <laughs> well, that's why I put them on Post-its, so yes. I can move them around and oh, Of course, them. yes. It helps
1: a lot. <laughs> so have you got favourites? I mean, you've got around six main characters who we follow very closely, and their relationships. And um, it's all about relationships, isn't it? Um, that surprised me sometimes.
3: I, I yeah, I do love the interactions between the characters, and it is really hard to pick favorites because I I mean I love writing characters, and I find myself easily being able to switch. Between them, I mean, they've all, as you've noticed, they've all got their unique voice. Even though I write it in third person, it's what we call close third. So you're really just seeing their point of view, and um, and they all have their own quirk, personality quirks, but they also all have their own vocabulary. And so I just find myself inhabiting these characters um, when I'm with them, and when, when when I do inhabit them, I have a great affection for them. And so I don't really end up having favourites um, overall. I always I have a huge amount of fun writing Max because she's so straightforward and I can have a lot of fun with the way she speaks and interacts with other people. Um, but then I love writing Bernard. Like Bernard in Gables Bay, when I first invented him, he was supposed to be just like a petty bureaucrat. And then I started getting into his character and thinking, oh, no, you're better than this, you're more important than this. (laughs) And I rewrote the book, I rewrote the draft to include him as the main character, um, and he has grown from there. So I have quite a lot of fondness for Bernard because he insinuated himself into my psyche.
1: (laughs) Yes, and and they're sort of um, opposite to the Bartons, aren't they? Um, Yes. uh, You know, another couple, Patricia and Bernard, and um, then... um
3: there, John Too. Yes, to a, yes.
1: So way, kind the, of awful. Yeah. those kind of contrasts, and delight me. And I, I also, I mean, I can't help seeing people that I've known, <laughs> <laughs> <You're> <laughs> and, right, and a bit yeah. about myself in certain chapters. So that's what it does for people. It's we can't help but identify because you cover the field.
3: <laughs> I think that's what I wanted to do, and that's why I wanted to place Gabriel's Bay sort of everywhere and nowhere, I mean it's obviously by the sea and it's obviously a small town but apart from that I have so many people say, oh it's exactly like when I was growing up in Teowonga or up in the Bay of Plenty or even down south you know, mm. and and that is very pleasing to me that I've managed to do that. But yeah I hope, and especially writing humour I mean humour is a really a, a really fantastic way of bonding and creating empathy and I want people to enjoy the characters, to empathise with them because they understand they've got some of their problems themselves um, and also get a viewpoint perhaps into a different way of, you know, being and thinking.
1: Well, you've made a great success of these these, these three books and Return to Gabriel's Bay. Uh, Nikki Pellegrino uh, describes it as amusing, warm-hearted, thought-provoking and, most of all, relatable. And uh, Catherine Robertson who um, lots of people know from She Reviews Books for the New Zealand Listener. She's a regular slot on RNZ's The Panel and Jessie Mulligan's book Critic Slot. So um, look for the three books if you haven't found them yet. I'm sure most people will have found the first and second one. And the third book is called Spellbound and it's published by
2: Penguin Random House. And join us, Moran Raut and Ruth Todd, next Tuesday on Bookends on Plains FM 96.9.